2: Hey, friends. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, alongside, along with, near, sitting in the same room as Brian Fromm, and we are together doing a show called The Common Good. The show is about hopefully creating space for dialogue and conversation. We uh, would love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can also go to 1160hope.com. Plus, the show is podcasted wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, If you like or rate or review, all of that somehow magically helps. So if you feel so compelled, that would help us out a ton. Plus, you can text us. 68683 is the number. And then type CG for common good, plus your comment or your question, your suggestion for the show. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. And uh, a couple weeks ago, Brian, there was this commercial Mm -hmm. that I'll admit, not even really being a big basketball guy, Kinda got the emotions turning. Uh, I don't know if I'm just more emotional now, having a couple uh, little kids at home. But this this commercial for Dwayne Wade, uh, as he kind of you know his last season, and um, it was talking about his collection of these jerseys of these other players right. he loved, and then it kind of highlighted a couple of stories where people were gifting him not jerseys, but um, like a suit jacket mm-hmm. or a graduation gown, and the story behind them. And it's just essentially these people. Face to face, sharing their appreciation for him and what either he had done or his foundation had done, and I don't know. You saw the commercial, right? Absolutely. Like it was, it's what it what did it do to you? Was it emotional? Was it totally. Sort of like, oh, it, First was. of all,
3: okay. you're going to learn as you get older. Not just kids. I think it's an older thing, but probably kids too. It's an older thing. Things <laughs> things are going to wreck you, man. That I I should just speak for myself. They didn't wreck me before. Hmm. I my kids think it's the most fun. It's the funniest thing. You I cannot watch. A video clip of a soldier coming home and surprising their children without openly crying in front of my children. Mama Goner. Yeah. Those are the best. And you just can put yourself in that moment. Uh, And so, yes, there's a cynical side to this. One of them (laughs) is like Dwayne Wade, this is his last year. Yep. And uh, he basically has made his last season a made for TV movie, like just having a video crew following him, every, you know, trading jerseys with people, but Mm -hmm. he's earned it, you know? And, but this commercial was awesome, I thought, in the sense that. It wasn't he's been trading jerseys with other basketball players all season and collecting them and writing notes and whatever else. But this was like somebody in Florida whose whose brother, I believe, died in the Parkland shooting. And Dwayne Wade stepped in and helped them and and like wrote the kid's name on his shoes and stuff like that. And she came with what should have been his graduation gown. Yeah. Uh, Another person who went to college through one of like Dwayne Wade's foundation, all these kinds of things. And then, of course, it climaxes with his mom coming out. Uh, And so who doesn't cry at that point? Yeah, no kidding. Uh, But I think one reason it was such a feel-good commercial is because they didn't make up these stories. Like, Dwayne Wade really – he really did these things. And whether you think it's like a little bit of self-promotion or not for the commercial, they were highlighting things that he has actually done. And so to be able to look back over a career that was more than basketball – and was he he did good things in people's lives and to see him he you know the whole premise of the commercial is he walks in and he doesn't know who's coming in yeah, yeah. And with each one you can see the emotion on yep. his face i just you know for all the cynical things we have and all the time we talk about greed and all this to see somebody who's done good things to be celebrated for it yeah it's cool and then to see the humanity of it I, it was an emotional commercial if you've never seen it you can google it
2: online and uh, you'll find it. Okay, so in light of all of that, I'm about to get cynical. I knew you right. were. I'm ready for it. <laughs> so my uh, my friend Michelle sent me this, and the the title of the uh, article just simply says it's a beer commercial. <laughs> uh, understood. <laughs> and like the first image right there is just that one of those like tear jerking scenes from this commercial that you were mentioning. And I'm looking at it, and I'm remembering the commercial, and I'm thinking, oh man, this was really powerful. And I like watched it, and then I like came home. And I, 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 said to my wife, I said we gotta watch this, and we both, we both got emotional. And uh, but I did have just this teeny tiny twinge of what this article is sort of highlighting is, oh, this is still yes a beer commercial. It's still designed to sell a product, and uh, and again, I don't know how cynical I want to get here or how existential, but like there was for me not just at this one, like it's you know artistically it was done well, and the general premise, the general message of caring for people and appreciation and face to face gratitude. Yep. I'm for all of those things. So I don't again I'm I'm thinking out loud here. I don't know how cynical to get, but like there is a part of me that thinks, oh, this whole thing was designed to evoke a certain emotion to move a product. Yep. That's what it comes down to. Does it diminish his impact in the world, I don't think so. Nope. Does it diminish the very real stories that are told? I don't think so. The one with his mom was, I mean, so powerful. Um, but it made me think: one, is that is that what we've come to as a culture? Yeah. Two. Do we sometimes do this in the church, nah. right? Do we play off yep. emotions or brand things in a particular way. Is that a problem for you, Pastor Brian, when we, you know, I don't know, I don't know if your brain th- thinks that way or not or if it w- just happens to play out that way. Like how how do we reconcile really really good things, sometimes even beautiful things in the world when they're used ultimately to move a product, do the ends, justify the means, or vice versa, how do you how do you reconcile something like this that you know clearly affected both of us yep. and then also realizing uh, it's it's still ultimately an advertisement, yeah, and I guess I'm okay with it being an
3: advertisement. I probably feel a little less cynical, especially because it wasn't like when they came in. I'm clearly going to show you that I don't understand how subtle advertising works here because, you know it would have been one thing if they came in and he handed them a
2: Budweiser, you know? I'm like, <laughs> that "Here you go." Would be just but... terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Here I autographed a Budweiser. He Weiser just stares at the it, camera. You know? Budweiser.
3: <laughs> uh but you know, even think of like the post 9/11 commercial with like was it also Anheuser-Busch where the where the uh where the uh, the horses like bowed before the uh yeah. oh, right the site and stuff like that. Like I get mm. it. Uh I do feel extremely cynical when it comes to Um, kind of manipulating people within the church context. And I think a lot of churches, are we all are really good at that. Hmm. Um, You can really kind of twist people up. And um, it's the same way when we were youth pastors, right? You'd go on a retreat and you knew the rhythm of a retreat, right? Like it's going to end with this high emotion and kids crying and doing this. Uh, But we can... We can do stuff in churches absolutely to emote a response and emote a you know tears or a reaction, uh, and that I feel like I get more cynical about this one. I'm you know I, I, in the end it we, it did a good job celebrating Dwayne Wade, so I'm okay with that. But maybe I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth there.
2: So what if it was something like like you mentioned you know the 911? I'm not going to have good consistency here, but go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> but like, uh, it, does it carry a different gratitude if you lost someone? in nine eleven, and then to see a beer commercial using nine eleven as leverage to sell a product does that hit you in a different way that particular commercial i don't i think i would have been
3: i would have been a good with it i think i would you have, would have I interesting think so again if it was blatantly moving product i get that the subtle is oftentimes as effective at moving product maybe more so yeah but if it had been like just blatant like hey here you know and um, I know I'm probably not, I'm I'm speaking to my lack of understanding of how advertising works probably <laughs> and messaging. Um, but I do, you know, taking it back to your stuff about the church, I do, coming off of Easter too, like it does feel like uh, churches can get really good at manipulation. And we got to be really, really careful at that because, you know, getting it just tied into uh, to an emotional feeling or this and that and life gets hard and, and, and it can get really messy. You're dealing with with some really big things there. So I don't know. How do you feel about manipulation <laughs> within
2: the church or the emotional, like, to, to emote a response at all times? Okay, those are two very different questions. Nah, manipulation sad. and emoting a response are so different, and I'm so glad that you fell perfectly into my trap and worded it that way, because <laughs> I think manipulation in the church is abhorrent. I agree. I, but we are emotive beings. So So uh, storytelling or good musicianship yes. will evoke emotions we i think aren't when people say oh worship is just this emotional experience why do we diminish emotion as if it's purely manipulation i'm i'm saying in this commercial's context it certainly can be used that way yep. but it is not anti-spiritual or anti-christian to be emotive or to evoke that emotion in someone else. And I think we've, we've so that's fair. dichotomized these two that like, Oh, if it's emotional then it can't have any depth. I'm like, well, man, I think that's so wrong in so many ways. And I, I don't totally know what the solution is because every context is very different. Yep. Um, but I do think it is very, very important. And maybe that's a whole other discussion sometime to differentiate manipulation and evoking emotion. Yeah. Because Cause somewhere
3: I, there's a middle ground there that should be, that is like, we're trying like The emotion is the, is the end goal, and I think that's what I see sometimes. That's uh, that that makes me uncomfortable, as opposed it to it should, as opposed to the end goal being something else, and the emotions come in that
2: process because it's a big, you know. And so, I think that's part of my issue with this commercial yep. because what the whole goal of evoking ah, these emotions gotcha. is to move a product, not to tell a good story okay. or not to help encourage. Some kind of generosity. The takeaway here is if I go online and
3: see like a soldier returning to see their kid and they like they like hold up like a quarter pounder from McDonald's, like I'm going to be mad.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know how that's. Any different from this Dwayne Wade commercial? I think you're probably right. Uh, Sometimes I, sometimes I go and I'm like, what I'm saying
3: doesn't make sense, but I feel it. I feel it.
2: I think that's so good. It's my emotion. All right. Well, coming up next, (laughs) it turns out that uh, a bunch of millennials are uh, choosing to opt out of having kids mainly for climate change reasons. So we're going to talk about that a little bit coming up next on the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the Right Reverend Brian Fromm. Yes. Show about entering into the gray and the mess and stuff that doesn't always have easy answers uh, or sometimes answers at all I'm
3: finding. Can we, we Before we hop into this, can we just tell people, can we paint a picture of what's going on in here right now? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. Because if you're out there right now, if you're a, uh, Ian right now is having major, major neck pains. <laughs> Spasms is the word. He cannot turn his neck.
2: Oh man, I'm in so much pain and he's right in now. So
3: much pain that we have brought over one of these comfortable chairs that we have, but that comfortable chair <laughs> is like two feet off the ground, if that. And so it is like he is he is like almost below the desk right uh-huh. now. It is it is
2: awesome. It's a whole other world under this desk, I man. Mean, There's all sorts of <laughs> bolts and wiring I, and things I hadn't seen before. I feel bad that you're hurting, but right now is is a little humorous, right now. <laughs> Right now. <laughs> hey, I think we both can laugh at my pain. I am. Uh, as long as you're laughing, I, w- I will laugh with you. I just can't laugh too hard or turn my head <laughs> to the left. Those are the two things I have to be mindful of. Uh, it's the kind of pain where the subtlest of movement is going to send me into some sort of weird. Let's just play it by ear. Hopefully, hopefully I don't go blank on you here. If yours is not here later, people will know why. <laughs> yeah, right. If I just drop off of this conversation, it's because like, I passed out. I mean, people,
3: he's under the desk now, but I can't do anything about it. <laughs> uh, just rocking himself <laughs> back,
2: back and forth in the fetal position. All right. So NBC News, here's the headline. For some millennials, climate change clock ticks louder than biological one, mm. meaning there's this uh, growing movement of uh, millennials in particular. Deciding not only to not have kids, but are discouraging other people from having kids because they're seeing it as a uh, a climate change issue. Yep. And I've, I've heard whispers of this the last couple of weeks. Um, but in particular, it feels like there have been a few voices that have gotten downright nasty, yeah. like p- like calling people who are having kids. Like monsters of the environment. And uh, I saw one that called them evil. Someone even just had their fourth kid. I'm like, that's just, that's evil and irresponsible. Yep. And uh, I saw one where somebody,
3: I didn't know them, but it was somebody I follow on Twitter. And he was like, So my friend just posted a picture in, of excitement saying they're, they're pregnant with their ninth kid. And then he wrote, Is it weird that I think this is really irresponsible because of the state of our world? Oh, really? Yeah. And so for me, as you read these things, I, You can choose to have kids or not have kids for whatever reason you want. I think this is ridiculous, Mm. Uh, regardless of um, obviously it goes to how much you trust the science of climate change and this or that. But even it's just crazy. But where this but in the end, if you want to not have kids for climate reasons or financial reasons, have at it. But uh, the bigger deal for me is what you brought up and that there seems to be this growing movement of shaming people for having children. And that is way over the line for me uh, and just patently absurd. Like there's uh, there's you can make this argument about all sorts of other reasons why we shouldn't have kids. But um, again, if you want to not do it for yourself and, and they start using things like this, it says fears of bringing children into a troubled world, maybe as old as recorded history, And the government reported last year that U.S. birth rates had hit a 30-year low attributed partly to millennials who felt they were under economic duress. Hmm. I tell people this all the time when we do premarital counseling. If you're waiting until you're ready to have kids, (laughs) you're never,
2: like, financially ready or whatever. You're never going to. But But you probably discourage people, though, haven't you? Like, have you ever actually said to someone, okay, you might not actually be ready? Would you ever find yourself in that position? I've never said that to anybody. I could see myself
3: telling somebody that if really? I thought that they just were if they had some work to do you okay. know if they had okay. I don't think I'd necessarily say hey you can't afford it or you right. can't Right.
2: but it's not out of it's not out of the question though for you to say hey based just as your pastor and your friend you might not actually be ready yep yeah no I agree with you just if someone who I thought was had some counseling to do
3: and emotional immaturity sure, and sure. Um, I, I would probably counsel them to like you know think about it first but this whole shaming people and and again I don't know I, I'm gonna come at this from a very um particular perspective and it's this I've got three kids and and being married and having three kids is like the greatest joy in my life yeah yeah same and so uh, I understand people people feel strongly about climate change but there's still a lot of question about it and to take this like a uh, principled stand that says me not having kids is going to make it. I don't know. It just is ridiculous. It's grandstanding. And I think it's people. Um, I don't know. They're, they're going to miss out on one of the most joyful experiences they could possibly have. Now you might be out there and unable to have kids and not have kids. I'm not saying that you can't experience joy or that you're, you know what I mean? Like it, it, it but I'm just saying from my perspective, I have loved having children. And if somebody came up to me and been like, you are being irresponsible for having children. However many children I choose to have, I would just disregard them
2: wholeheartedly. But, okay, so that's because that doesn't apply to you, but can you conceive where that actually might be irresponsible for a certain family to have a dozen kids or so? Like, is that a, a blanket rule that applies to everybody that, hey, it's your family, have as many kids as you want, or it is there in your mind, and I'm not asking for, like, a specific example, but could you conceive of a circumstance where you might actually, as a friend or as a pastor, say— Okay, you you may actually uh, be irresponsible to have another kid. Hmm. What would make it irresponsible? If I if I thought they couldn't afford it or... Yeah, any list of reasons. I don't know. I imagine for you the climate change argument wouldn't likely <laughs> no. be at the top of the list. But no. could you conceive of a, a circumstance where like you would actually maybe even step in and say, hey, you guys are already maxing out 15 credit cards and you're talking about having another kid or... Like, is, is there a conceivable environment where that might actually exist? I, I have a hard time picturing what that environment would be. Really? I do. Now,
3: if it was a close friend who was really asking, you know, I had a really tight relationship and they really deeply wanted my opinion, maybe, maybe it would get around to that. But, you know, I would probably more tell somebody, hey... Uh, You know, if you're going to have another kid, you really got to get your spending under control. You really got to get these things taken care of because those spending problems are still going to be there whether they have the next kid or not. Yeah, right. And so I'd probably go down this road. But this also brings up, you know, I know climate change is just a huge lightning rod for people. Uh, Like uh, a lot of people think it's complete fake news and there's nothing to it. Other people think our world's going to end in like 10 to 15 years. Um, But... You know, like this is like such a doomsday deal for me that that it just is it it, it bothers me. It saddens me, not bothers. It saddens me mm. that people would even put this above. You know, the the, the God given joy of having and experiencing children like it's just it's just so weird to me. Hmm. It's really weird. Like maybe don't maybe start riding a bike around town first. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like maybe uh, start having solar panels and not, let, you know, maybe there's some other decisions you can make. This feels like grandstanding and just feels ridiculous. And if you're if you think I'm wrong, then at least, you know, go ahead, live by your beliefs. Go for it. Uh, but this doesn't feel like one to me where we should be shaming other people for just going to the lengths to having,
2: of having a child. Is there is there a situation where you think shaming would be an appropriate tactic? Let's say it's not uh, having kids, but it's somebody who regularly throws all their garbage out their window while they drive. Would there would, there, <laughs> would you reach a threshold to say, hey, that's really irresponsible? The environment does matter. You got to stop doing that.
3: Absolutely, I'm not an anti environment guy. Oh, I know. I don't not. know. I don't know. What I think about climate change, I think both sides are probably I think the truth is probably in the middle. But, yeah, if you're going to litter, if you're like, you know, going to um, going to pollute the water, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Those people should be ticketed. They should be. Shamed. It, okay. No, I'm not like, hey, this is God's given us this earth to beat down however we want right, to do it. And I want right. to leave my children uh and i want to teach them how to take care of god's creation yes yes uh, it feels like stopping having babies is not a bad plan although as a side benefit those that do feel this way will stop procreating and maybe
2: <laughs> oh boy oh boy here we go
3: <laughs> was that insensitive <laughs> Was that seeing a silver lining that's not really I, well, I, a silver lining? Well,
2: I think the reason that we're talking about this at all, though, is that this conversation is different. It's different than shaming somebody who owns 12 Hummers or somebody that's yes. always, you know, there's environmental implications to both of those. But this feels very, very different. Yes. And the, uh, the, the tactic of shaming, one, doesn't seem right. And two, just doesn't seem effective. And the other side mm-hmm. of it, to me, and this is maybe a conversation for another time, is that so often it seems that. Uh, it's Christians mm. that are the slowest to take up the call for environmental care, Agreed. which to me, like if, if we believe, and I believe that we do that God gave us the earth to steward it well. Shouldn't we be leading the charge in like good stewardship of the earth and its resources? Yeah. And obviously, you know, we're going to disagree on how that looks. And like, just to be clear, I, uh, I, having, having kids has been one of the greatest joys of my life, too. And so I, I think this is certainly uh, an extreme approach. But also, if, if we cut out the shaming part and you decide for yourself, you don't want to. Yep. I, I'm fine with that. Like, that's, you know, that's your prerogative. And maybe there's some theological implications there. I know plenty of people would disagree that, you know, you no, know, the point of marriage is procreation. And, um, I don't, I don't, I don't know exactly where I land on that one, but I think it is there is certainly nuance to this conversation. For me, it comes yeah. down to tactic and approach. The, the strategy to shame people into your way of thinking just seems irresponsible and ineffective. Yeah. But, well, this has been the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. you're getting emotional hearing that music <laughs> you're not alone you are not alone what what is that music too, brian field of dreams field of dreams and why modest mouse <laughs> why, oh gosh that's that's some insider language right there that why was... why would we be playing the music from field of dreams
3: first of all sometimes we make jokes that just assume people listen to all two hours every day Yeah, the modest Mouse week. is just
2: gonna make it sound like you're a crazy person <laughs> <laughs> it is such.
3: <laughs> they've got to really be dedicated to our podcast right now, or something. So if it's they know like your parents, joke.
2: then your parents probably got that joke. <laughs> <laughs> like one other person.
3: <laughs> oh, that's funny. Like my wife's listening. What? What, the heck, what are you talking about? Okay, so why would we playing that music? Field of Dreams came out uh, this week, thirty years ago, nineteen eighty-nine. And if you, here's an interesting question for someday: top five movies of all time for yourself.
2: And for me, Field of Dreams will be on that list every time. I love this movie. I mean, I I love this movie, too, for a whole bunch of reasons. But you love this movie, I think, maybe more than I do. So with the 30th anniversary and all that it celebrates, I'm curious. One, why is it on your list? But two, maybe the deeper question is, why do movies like this stand the test of time and so resonate so deeply with so many people?
3: Yeah, I love this movie on a on a shallow end, because of <laughs> baseball. I love right. baseball. And so the shoeless Joe Jackson and seeing these guys play. Uh, and then, I mean, the speech that James Earl Jones makes late in the movie about baseball. You're just like, like nobody has ever encapsulated why baseball fans love baseball more than James Earl Jones. Where he oh, just goes brilliant. Right, it's baseball. And he just goes and you're so just good. like, oh my goodness. Like I've, so when I come to that part or when they're at Fenway Park with, uh, you know, Terrence Mann and Ray Kinsella and, you know, uh, or Moonlight Graham, who, who only got the who got to bat once but never got a hit. Right. And then there's certain parts of the movie that just become like human interest redemption stories. Right. Terrence Mann, the James Earl Jones character, that is a redemption story. Um, you know, even her brother who wants him to sell the farm, he comes around or. Hmm. Uh, Moonlight Graham, he walks off to save the girl and then he can't play again. But he just thinks like there's so many moments that you just want to cry at and you're like this. But ultimately, this movie, there's, a, there's the redemption of Shoeless Joe Jackson, uh-huh. who, if you know the story, Shoeless Joe, um, may or may. He was suspended for life from baseball for throwing with the Black Sox during the 1919 World Series. And a lot of people think he wasn't involved hmm. um, and got kind of a raw deal. Ultimately, this is about Ray Kinsella, who is Kevin Costner uh, and his dad Hmm. and that it all boils back to he he uh, had a broken relationship with his father, never got to the point of healing it. And then James Earl Jones asks him, well, why, you know, why did you never make it right? And he goes, because the guy went and died. And he basically it's this story of like he never made things right with his dad. And a lot of it's centered around his dad's love for baseball. Can you tell I love this movie? <laughs> yeah, a little, it, bit, a little it, bit. Anybody you're who's standing watched, up now. Huh? Anyone who's watched Field of Dreams knows it culminates with the ghost. These are all ghosts coming back that he has a catch with being his dad. But his yeah. dad is a young man. And, and uh, they're about to part. They haven't actually acknowledged that they're father and son. And then Kevin Costner's character just goes, Dad, want to have a catch? And if, you're, if, you, if you don't cry in that moment, you don't have a heart. You know, <laughs> like you were. Oh, Pastor, my goodness. Hey, there's some things that can be debated. There's others that can't, right? And so, you know, for me, becoming a dad with a son, especially, like, just I I showed him this movie. I showed my daughters this movie this year. The first time I had a catch with my son, my, my wife looked out, and she looked at me, and I mouthed her. Dad, want to have a cat? Oh gosh. <laughs> I mean, you're Probably tears like... running
2: down your face. <laughs> oh dude. my
3: gosh, man. <laughs> and so I think to get to your bigger question, I think uh that this resonates uh because um because they've done a great job at tapping into emotions. There's Americana, there's baseball, there's multiple levels of the redemption story going on, and then uh, it all culminates with a father and son, mm-hmm. and and it's not even just father, son. It, uh, daughters can relate to this just as much to like trying to make things right with a parent or connecting and all of that. I think together. Yeah, there's such huge holes to this story. Right. Like <laughs> yeah, such yeah. enormous holes <laughs> to this story. <laughs> but I think because it taps into emotion so well. Yeah, I think that's why people are like, OK, I get it. They're ghosts coming out of a cornfield or they're this. Right. Or, right. right. You know, none of this actually makes sense. And you're still like, nope, I'm in. Okay, am good. So
2: this is a question that I have for you then that I wasn't planning on asking. But at the top of the hour, we were talking about this commercial that evoked emotion. Yep. And sort of going after it a little bit for evoking emotion just simply to move a product, right, yep. to sell beer. But now you're celebrating this movie for evoking emotion yep. when arguably it's doing the same thing. It's moving a product. It just happens to be that the product is the film. What's the difference there? It's a story. I mean, just not. Yeah, but so is Dwayne Wade's. That was a story. Those are all mini stories. I, that was all story did, driven. Did I tell you I had a hard time with the Dwayne story? <laughs> I would you say. You said a lot of things
3: that segment, right? I Brian. just think <laughs> movies are different, right? Movies are, they're meant to, to uh, bring about your emotion or make you angry or make you scared or right. make you, it's just good storytelling. And so uh, I think a good movie Uh, goes beyond just the story of baseball and ghost or yeah think of your favorite movies but and it gets to something deeper it can connect to something deeper that we all feel Uh, we've all you know we all have parents and we've all um, done things where relationships have been broken we all have regrets that we wish could be made better yeah in this movie there's multiple different people who are able to be it's almost like they're they're making right the wrongs of their past in kind of a supernatural way in the f- yeah, cornfield right. in Iowa. And I think that's what it's tapping into. I think we all wish that there were uh, – man, I'm like a movie critic now. I, w- I think there's all – I think we all have things in our lives that we wish we could go back and make right. Totally. And none of these were made right in normal ways. It was all kind of supernatural. And so you're kind of like, oh, yeah, wouldn't that be amazing? Like I'm gonna... And so seeing the redemption of all these people, I think that's why uh, – you know, I think that's why we like uh, we. I. This is why I really like this movie besides tapping into things I already love, like baseball, right and Kind of this Americana innocence of whatever.
2: Well, and I and I was terrible at baseball, and this movie still really resonates with me. I think there is something to connections and regret and second chances. I just think it's super interesting, having just talked about this commercial, that the goal still is to sell a movie, right? Mm-hmm. And because it's in movie format, like you're all you're all in. I am, but skeptical of a commercial that would use the same tactics to move a product when they're both still, I think, technically moving product, aren't they? Kinda. Remember, you were the skeptical one of the Dwayne Wade
3: one. I, I went. I understand it doesn't make sense, but I'm good with it. <laughs>
2: You had some skepticism that I as think well.
3: the difference is I think the product that movies are moving is the store is the movie itself. Right. It is the story itself. And so mm-hmm. therefore, yeah, use whatever you need to do to get that out there. I think what we were a little hesitant about the Dwayne Wade commercial was that it was using this tearjerker story to move beer. <laughs> right. Right. It's not like Field of Dreams at the end was like you know, oh, and then he built this McDonald's right next to his place. And, you know, so I do see a difference there. But uh, it is a story of, um, we'll have to ask Dallas on, on uh, you know, on uh, Media Mondays. But that was a plug. You see that? That was Yeah, I did see that. I well, do well think there's something. To, I just think Field of Dreams is a good story. And it, it taps into emotions that we all feel really well.
2: Yeah, I agree. So tapping into emotions then. Can be a good thing is what you're saying. I think it's usually a good thing. Oh, you think it's usually a good thing? I do. When is it not a good thing? When churches abuse it. (laughs) So how do you decipher an abuse, though? Like You're saying because it's a movie that you love, how do you decipher when it's evoking emotion in a way that's not helpful? Yeah. You want to do this right now? I think that emotions, (laughs) I think when emotions is used
3: to manipulate, when the purpose is the emotion. Movies are different to me because it's a story Uh, that is not trying to push product. I get it. They want you to come buy the movie, but they're wanting you to buy the story. And so what the commercial does, it gets into the gray area, or more so what I think we often do in churches, uh, it's what we said after that segment, is that we shoot for the emotion. And that's like the end goal. And I think in churches that's been used to get people to do a lot of things that are are dangerous.
2: I gotcha. All right, so this is 30th anniversary for Field of Dreams. Speaking of 30, though, we're going to talk about 30 years later when it comes to the Saved by the Bell cast and how it turns out a lot of these guys are actually still friends. Wondering if you have friends from 30 years ago (laughs) as well. I know that I have very, very few for probably a number of reasons. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Oh man, that, that song brings Let it go. me Let back. It go. It's actually not that great of a song, not that I'm really listening to no, it. No, but you feel like you're eating like a sandwich or like you got <laughs> you got chips in front of the uh, in front of the TV. That is pretty wild how a song, even a subpar song, if it's tied to some nostalgia, yeah, can just make you feel happy. Oh, absolutely. There's something okay, so why do we just play that music, Brian? Because
3: it is the 30-year anniversary, or no, it is, uh, no, I'm on a different story. It is actually from Saved by the Bell, which if you guys remember Saved by the Bell, that was like the show from when you and I were younger, especially when I was younger. I was more in the, in the age range, and so it was just a ridiculous show. What's, what's funny about it is if you watch Saved by the Bell now, and if you want to an angry text to me, you can do so at 68683, uh, what's funny about... Uh, saved by the bell now it doesn't really hold up very well (laughs) it doesn't i haven't seen it in so long no if you i remember trying to show it to my kids a couple (laughs) years ago and i was like oh man this is kind of like yeah it's kind of crazy but in 1989 or whatever when it was coming out early 90s uh at bayside school right like it was it was pretty cool you had (laughs) zach and ac and kelly and it was like it was your prototypical show um of like you know, teenage kids in high school. And it was just, it was just a fun, it was a fun show. But here's why I wanted to talk about this is this, there was this um, picture that kind of went viral around social media this weekend. Uh, And what it showed was uh, that the Save by the bell cast reunited to celebrate quote, 30 years of friendship. And so there was a picture of them and their significant others at a restaurant in Sherman Oaks, California, Mario Lopez, who has played A.C. Slater, he wrote Friends Forever, ca- and I'm not going to sing it again, Please, uh, please captioned come on. on Instagram, Lopez said in a video, fun dinner tonight with some old friends, a uh, great group right here, uh, and then uh, another one of them, Mark Paul Gosseler, who played uh, Zach, uh, he commented, this is what 30-plus years of friendship looks like. And so at least the picture that they gave Uh, is that these guys have remained friends on some level. Who knows how close? But that they've remained at least um, sort of friends. They've stayed in relationship for 30 years. And this show hasn't been on probably for a good 25 years. Uh, And it got me thinking. So I'm going to get kind of existential here. Uh, I might not have used existential in the right way there. (laughs) I wasn't going to say anything. And that's this, is that I realize a lot of times, and my wife and I have had this talk, that we don't have a lot of old friends. And I don't mean old as an age. I mean old as in going way back. Hmm. Um, I don't have a lot of 30-year friends, right, from my childhood. And part of that is because I moved away from where I grew up. I grew up in New Jersey, came out to college at Wheaton. And so there was a very big break. Like There was a very much of a delineation because most of my friends from high school still live out on the East Coast. Uh, so there was that break. and then, But then you graduate college and everybody scatters again and there's that break. And then uh-huh. I worked at Glenelan Bible Church and then we left to go to another church to start Four Corners and there was that break. right? And right. it feels like with each break in my life, I've got a different group of friends, which is natural. Proximity is a big deal when it comes to friendships. But to be honest with you, when it comes to childhood friends, I still have one that I keep in touch with. My mm. best friend from growing up, mm. my, me and my kids and my wife have gone out twice to go visit him. Him and his family have come out to visit us. But that is like my only childhood friend. And sometimes that makes me really sad. And then I realize my wife is the same way. Really? Yeah, it's kind of, you know, you're just scattering, you're in different spots, and now you're with the people you're doing life with now. And so when I saw that picture, it, sure, it was fun to reminisce Saved by the Bell. Right. And what did you, did you like the show or whatever? But it was more like, man, it would be fun to gather with people who your relationship with them goes back 30 years. Yeah. And I guess I wanted to ask you, like, do you have those friendships and kind of on a bigger deal, like, what is it? That either builds those friendships and cultivates
2: them or causes them to go away. Yeah, I, I mean, as a caveat, I'm really bad at this, you know, kind of. But I think I, a lot of us are. I know. I, and that doesn't that doesn't bring me any peace. Mm. <laughs> like, it, it does. I've had the same lament that, you know, like all my family, most of my family is still in the Detroit area yep. where I was raised. So sometimes by proxy, like my, uh, my brother and I are so close in age, a lot of us had mutual friends from our childhood. Oh, okay. And because he's still there. And my brother is, you know, probably my best friend. Like in that regard, he's my best man. I was his um, because he's still kind of maintained some of these friendships sort of by proxy. I have too, but still at a distance. I'm still out here in Chicagoland. They're still in, you know, Metro Detroit. So there is certainly a disconnect. But because Zach has been he's he's actually, I think, really good at maintaining those relationships. Um, I've sort of benefited a little bit from that, but. Yeah, the 30-year the 30-year friendships, like I I do get jealous when I hear people like, "Oh yeah, we met in third grade and this is this is my best friend for life." I'm yep. like, "Oh, man." Now again, in 6th grade I was pulled out of school, uh, and then I was True. homeschooled, and then I moved out to Elgin to study youth ministry and then from Elgin moved to Bartlett to Pastor Church and then from Bartlett to Naperville, and even that's been uh unique and a little difficult because Bartlett and Naperville are not that far apart, um but it feels like two different worlds. Yeah. So like you know, I that was really, really hard for me. I, I almost thought that it would be easier to move across the country yeah. because then it's sort of like, well, no one can blame us for, you know, for not being able to be in each other's lives as consistently. But when you're only like 45 minutes away from people like that, you know, the church that I was at for 10 years was like my family. Yep. It wasn't just a church. It was like, oh, these are my people. And that was in my adult years. So it's not just this maintaining friendships from childhood. Sometimes whatever stage I'm in, I'm like so fully... In wherever I'm at, yep. that it can be really tough, even with Facebook and email and all these sure. things that are supposed to be tools and resources, it can be really, for me, and I think other people are way better at this, uh, it is really tough, and I think, um, I do grieve that a little bit, because sometimes, you know, there is, like for my brother, for example, th- he was there for so many of these stories that I, you know, talk about and shaped me, yep. that I feel like when, when he and I talk... there's already all of this context. There's no need for like unpacking the backstory. Like, Oh, you just already get me. Even though he and I disagree on a lot of stuff, there's just this, Oh, we were in it together. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's why people, even if it's just characters from a TV show, we all sort of resonate and say, I mean, I long for that, like three decades of relational equity. Like, Oh, this person knows me. And if we just jump every five years, um, that can be tough because it's either an obsession of, trying to reinvent ourselves all the yes. time or maybe we're running from something or maybe we're just not good at prioritizing our most important relationships. Yeah. And that can be really tough. Like I said, I've kept one friendship
3: from back in New Jersey. Uh, he was my childhood best friend and we've kind of rekindled our relationship. We might only talk a couple times a year, uh, but we've gotten in this habit of our, fr- of taking our families to see each other on vacations. Mm-hmm. And it's re- like you said, you just pick up where you left off. And, um, and I've got even, uh, it's so funny you brought that up. we, we moved from Glen Ellen, a church in Glen Ellen, to come to Downer's Grove. It's like twenty five minutes. Yeah, right. And my bet we had a group of friends there that at Glen Ellen Bible church that were so tight, they were a small group, and yeah. they still are. We still get together with them and when we do, it's like we've never left, but That's we awesome. might only see them twice a year. Oh, no kidding. Three times a year. And it's just the strangest thing because even twenty minutes, because of all of our crazy lives, we all have kids the same age, hmm. it just it it, co- it might as well be across the country sometime. Mm. And uh Gosh, even my brother and I have that relationship. Sometimes my brother has is I uh, got like eleven kids, so <laughs> wow. it's a story for another day. But <laughs>
2: yeah, no kidding.
3: That like he lives in West Chicago. I live in Downers Grove, and yeah. I love my brother to death. We don't see each other a ton because mm-hmm. life is just crazy. And I think that's what it gets at. I think we allow our lives and our schedules to dictate not just our days, but our weeks, months, and years. And, and it becomes hard to cultivate deep friendships that last. That move or last that and and. It's interesting to hear you say you struggle with it. I struggle with it. I, I just think more people than not actually struggle with it.
2: And I think if you take any encouragement from this, um, make the phone call. Yep. Like, send the email. Like, I, you know, I'm just thinking about some of the friends that I still dearly love. And it could, honestly, sometimes years could pass. And if we were to go out for coffee this afternoon, it would feel like no time passed. Absolutely. Like that. That's a real gift. And one of the things that I'm being challenged by, even as we're talking about this, is making the specific time... Even, like you said, if it's the twice a year sort of thing, prioritize it. Like, the people in your life, we're not, I mean, this is a little morbid, we're not gifted tomorrow, we're not guaranteed tomorrow, yep. we have no idea. Like, make the phone call, send the text, even just a quick note to say, man, I don't know, we don't see each other nearly as much as we used to, but I'm a different person because like you've really them. shaped my life. And I think, um, I personally, just honestly, I want to be better at that. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think we'd be better people, better pastors and husbands and fathers if we uh, prioritize the most important relationships in our life. That's good. Saved by the bell. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Saved by the Bell. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. Find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. And uh, a story that I've seen all over Twitter for, Mm -hmm. what, probably a week now uh, is that Rachel Held Evans is in a medically induced coma and the outpouring of support and prayer and, um, honestly, the thing that I find really interesting is how many people I see posting things like, Uh, I no longer consider myself a Christian, but her writing uh, has been so formative or so helpful for me. Um, You know, so when you see people like I'm not a praying type anymore, but good vibes to Rachel or all this other, like kind of synonym language for like, I don't know that I believe in prayer or God. And yet I still would ask that you help me in supporting this person. That's been really important to me Um, has been really, it's been interesting to watch and there's been very little information. It seems like, her husband, Dan, right now is kind of posting on her behalf, but very, yep. very little. I don't know if there's been um, much development, but it, it's just let us let us in on some of the background of how so, we got here. Again, for those of you who aren't aware of who she is,
3: Rachel Held Evans, author, blogger, uh, and kind of one of the main voices of what we would call the progressive uh, side of of evangelical, not even evangelical, of just Christianity. Yeah. Um, and so uh, she is... Uh, an accomplished writer and accomplished on social media. And it's quite the following uh, recently. Like, like you said, a week or 10 days ago, she posted that she was going to the hospital for the flu and something else. And that she was having some reaction to the antibiotics. And then apparently it kind of went dark, but apparently what happened was there was a, a major um, she, she started really reacting severely, allergically to the antibiotics or the medicine Uh, And they had to, like you said, they had to put her in a medical induced coma because they found that her brain was just continually seizing. And that's all the information they've put out there. But basically, they just made a call out there. Please pray. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can start to read between the lines a little bit when they're like, you know, it's going to be a long road ahead of us. But Mm. they said they put her in a medically induced coma so that the doctors can try to figure out what to do. So obviously, you know, you and I aren't doctors, but uh, obviously a very serious situation. And I've been watching this just kind of intrigued by the outpouring for someone like her. Uh, she's got to, you know, hopefully uh, she will recover and be able to know the way people have talked about her and love her. Um, but you you mentioned on the one side, there's been this outpouring of people like, I'm not even really a Christian anymore, but she gave voice to some of my struggles. Because um, like we said, very much on the progressive end, um, what I've also been impressed with in is the number of of people on the very conservative side of Christianity mm. who have said, Hey, uh, either they've given this kind of disclaimer, even though we'd never agreed on much, uh, uh, I'm going to, you know, we're going to pray for her and encouraging their people or not even giving that disclaimer. Mm. as praying for Rachel. Hullum, and I found that to be, encouraging but man just the the human side of this is the primary side just the fact she's got a husband and two little kids yeah um so it's not even about the the blogging and the books and the this that she's so prolific at it's just the heartbreak of a young woman who is uh, it sounds like facing something really dire and it just reminds us like theological debate is really important and so i'm not not trying to downplay it but in situations like that you know People aren't like, oh, I disagree with her on this. Right. Yeah. No, it's like we've got to be praying for her because ultimately I think, you know, some people would like who are more conservative would disagree with this, but I think we're on the same team, mm. right? And that we're under the same umbrella and um that that we need to be praying for her. And so you could Google her and you'll find the story. Um, but I think the first thing we wanted to say is, man, uh, let's be people who who pray and
2: pray for somebody who, who needs it. And it's interesting, too, how much I'm reading about um, the people that have rallied the most support or kind of self-classifying as, like, a collection of misfits. Like, she's Mm. given, it seems like, um, a home and a place for people who would consider themselves theological or spiritual misfits and you know just a couple of kind of the highlighted tweets of people saying like women in particular like I wouldn't be preaching if it wasn't for her I never would have gone to seminary if it wasn't for her I think that's been a massive part of her ministry is to kind of give voice for you know women in ministry in particular which is um, pretty remarkable and I think I think to your point too that people it has this kind of weird strange almost eerie equalizing effect i've even had friends who have been pretty pretty outspokenly opposed to her saying like i oh, mean i now like i'm feeling i'm feeling convicted even yes. now i'm feeling a little bad about how how hard i went in on her because you know life is so fragile and it and you know we have certainly talked about um how what a what a strange dance it is because you know I, like i just did a, a tragic funeral last week mm. and um it was tragic for a number of reasons but even honestly listening to some of the people that shared stories, uh, about this, this, uh, young girl who passed a lot of the, the narrative were people are saying, I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere, mm. but this girl made me feel loved, made me feel known like people that also kind of identified as misfits. And I thought, man, there is something really powerful to someone who helps create a space where people feel known and loved. Yes. Um, because it feels like those spaces seem fewer and f- farther between. And I think that that is, um, I think that's really convicting. Yeah, it is, and and
3: again, uh, hopefully, she gets to the point and she comes back, and they they can, you know, there could be that debate again because theological debate matters. She she believes a lot of things that that you know you and I probably don't even believe, but it's in these moments where you are like, oh wait, that's a that's a person behind the blog. There is a person with a family behind that Twitter account or behind that book, and um, you know, and that. It does. It reminds you the fragility of life. I mean, literally, she's texting last or tweeting last week about Game of Thrones and this. And this happens every day across the country, right? People unexpectedly uh, getting sick, having tragedies, whatever else. It just reminds you not just the fragility of life, uh, but the importance of living every day for like like it could be your last. Right. Like that's biblical, Uh, but also uh, the importance of living for the things God has called us to live for. So what does that look like for you then? You know, it's hard, man, because we do have to take care of our day to day, right? Like I got to work in the morning or I got to get up and go to work. The kids got to go to school. Um, But I do think it becomes really easy for me uh, to live at like things that are important are actually the priority. And so, you know, it could become easy to be like, hey, you know what? My wife and I will get on a date next month (laughs) because life's crazy now. Yeah oh, you know, I know our whole family's running crazy right now, but we'll slow down, we'll get to that vacation down the road. Or, hey, there's that friend I haven't talked to in a while, but I'm just too busy right now. You and I have talked before about how oftentimes it's tragedies where we go, okay, I'm going to call that person. It, It reminds me of the, this is a weird one, but it reminds me of the Notre Dame Cathedral that we said the Parisians probably walked by it every day, not really recognizing it anymore until it was burning. Yeah, And I think it's things like, uh, all of these types of stories that snap you back into reality and say, you know what, I'm going to work my job hard. I'm going to try to move fo- move up in uh, you know in my profession. I'm going to do this, but in the end, uh, I'm going to love my wife well. I'm going to love my kids. I'm never going to uh, make them um, inferior to these other things because I need to keep in line what is important, and I'm going to continue to chase after. Uh, a growing relationship with Jesus, because again, that's not another thing that I'm not just going to, well, you know, in the summer, maybe I have more time to read or maybe yeah, I'll have more right. time for this, but it's really easier to put your money. Uh, it's easier said than done because it just becomes hard, right? Like you got that. Th- this sermon needs to be written. This radio show needs to be done. This needs to be done. And it becomes easy for these things to just stack up until some tragedy strikes.
2: Do you, do you think about your own funeral at all? Is that something is that I thought that crosses your mind, like in a in a given week? One of us is, getting, this is going to get eerie because one of us is something's going to happen this week now. One of us are going to play
3: this back at our funeral. I do not, I don't dwell on it. Um, but I do at times wonder, you know, what would if, uh, if I were to pass away next week, what would, what would be the couple things that people would say about me? But most important, what would my wife and kids say about me? Hmm. Um, and that's hard to think about, but I do think. Um, thinking about the end helps us kind of prioritize the current. Like how you want people to talk about your your funeral is completely it's primarily um, determined by how you live your life now. Yeah. And so how am I going to do that? And I think, you know, we all assume our funeral is going to be when we're 80. Uh, and we're not saying at all that Rachel Held Evans is going to die. We have no idea. It's right. just a tragic situation that brings us up. But I'm sure last week she had 50 year plans that were like this is how my next 40 years, 50 years are going to go. And now at the right. very least, those have been jolted.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that jolting, man, I think it's a good call to not wait for the jolting yes. but to, to prioritize the things that you need to prioritize now. And sometimes those things require saying no to other things. So we can say yes to the right things. And that is uh way, way easier said than done. At least Absolutely. for me it is. But uh, I think that's a really important thing to keep out in front. Well, Rachel held Evans, uh, our prayers, Uh, Our thoughts uh, are with you and your family, and uh, we encourage you to do the same. Coming up next, you find an article from the Gospel Coalition, and uh, the headline, I think, is really intriguing at the very least. It says, Don't crash your ministry trying to fly like an ace. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. Ryan, you found this article, and uh, it's got me all sorts of intrigued, not the least of which reason is because it involves pilots and aviation, which yes. I know nothing about. But uh, it also feels like there's some good life lessons or metaphors somewhere tucked in here. Why don't you tell us what's going on here? Yeah, so it's out of the Gospel Coalition. You can find it at
3: thegospelcoalition.org, and it's entitled Don't Crash Your Ministry Trying to Fly Like an Ace. And uh, the author tells this interesting story that a, uh, the, he read an article recently showed that the death rates among German fighter pilots in World War II were, ra- were raised because of a highly competitive culture fueled by envy and jealousy. Mm. So he gives the stats here. Uh, this leader created this culture, publishing notable feats in a bulletin to inspire, inspire both troops and civilians. The research showed that after a pilot was mentioned in the bulletin, his peers' kill rate rose from 0.8 to 1.2 aircraft shot down per month but their own death rate also increased from 2.7% to 4%. These higher death rates were found primarily among more mediocre pilots who needlessly endangered themselves in hopes of achieving similar glory. And this competitive culture was typified during the Battle of Britain when ace uh, Werner Mulders refused to return to Germany for a meeting unless his chief rival Adolf Galland was grounded while he was away. Uh, and these incentives, basically it goes like this: these incentives were incentivizing uh just high risk and a and a competitive a competitive nature and an envy which actually raised their productivity right They were shooting down more uh but they were more likely to die hmm. and the article you can you can probably guess the way the author takes it. The author basically says uh we as pastors, and then I want to want to spring this towards because I think this is true for everybody, not just pastors, but he says that we as pastors. Often look at other people in envy and jealousy, uh, and think that we have to attain what they're attaining because they've been held up in some way. And in the meantime, you know, we basically um, we crash and burn because we either don't attain it. It's just this. It's the danger of comparison, the danger of jealousy, and not being comfortable in your own gifting and your own wiring. Uh, but instead, going, well, that guy's got. We, we talked about it after Easter right? This kind of danger of comparison feeling like I didn't do enough because that guy baptized 50 people or this. Uh, and, and he says here, we can easily boast of church size and church growth books, written or sold churches, planted or social media pr- prowess. But the result of such adulation is that pastors or more modest abil- of more modest ability can feel inadequate, push themselves too hard or take unnecessary shortcuts to achieve similar glory. I, uh, I see this in, in friends of mine. I see this in my own life. It goes back to the danger of comparison, comparis, uh, comparing ourselves and then feeling I've got to live up to this arbitrary thing that other people are doing and then
2: eventually just torpedoing your own ministry. So it's it's asserting then that when we play this comparison game, we'll often— use shortcuts to try to make it appear as if we're more successful than we are or more talented than we are. Is that what he's saying? I think that's what he's saying. He eventually
3: says that most of us are just average. Hmm. And i even used the, even the pre word there, just, I, I guess I just laid my cards on the table. He says, most of us are average, not aces uh, to be average or mediocre is not to be a failure. It's to be normal. What's the definition of average, right? Like, But there's all these studies out that say, like, most people think of themselves in the top 20%. Well, everybody can't be in the top 20%. Uh, And also, uh, as we've learned, a lot of these high-profile, in ministry at least, uh, they end up crashing and burning because it's not sustainable or it's not true. It's kind of more of a social media thing. And so, um, you know, his – I feel like I – I'm hearing what he's saying, like, you know, pastors don't live in this world of competition, but instead be be comfortable in who you are, how God has wired you and being faithful to the gospel and being faithful to shepherd your flock. And if your flock ends up being smaller than that guy's, that's great. There are some good things about competition, right? Like, that's what I was going to ask. There when, are wh- some good things like about competition. Uh, I think it, It. Nah, I, I, I guess I want to take this away from the church realm because,
2: um, no, I want to know in the church realm where in the. Is there is there healthy competition in in the church context? I guess it depends what we're being competitive about.
3: If the com- if the competitiveness is about just oh I have a bigger church than you or I have a bigger social media platform, I would say that if I see uh, church X in town doing a great job, let's say reaching the community, serving the community, and my church is doing nothing. Uh, And that spurs me on. I don't know if that's competition, but that at least spurs me on to say, you know what? I want to do some of the things they're doing. Okay. That feels healthy to me because it has spurred me on to
2: the things that my church should be doing. Um, So this is another interesting question. Who determines what fits in the should category? Because you're talking about two different things. Comparison and competition are not always the same, Mm -hmm. but it is easier from hindsight to say oh by comparing ourselves to this church it triggered my competitive nature and we're now doing a good thing mm-hmm. how do we in the moment of feeling that competition know if it's spurring us to something good or not
3: yeah that's a great question I think when I know in my own life when competition as a pastor is not healthy is when I'm like I want to beat that
2: church oh it's about beating it's about winning then
3: yeah. Winning in the sense of like, you know, we're bigger or people are talking about us more than them. Like when I see them as like the, I think a lot in terms of, you know, athletic competition. Right. right. And so there's always, uh, you know, team A versus team B. There's a winner and there's a loser. And I especially when I started the church. I thought of other churches that way. Hmm. Like, it's, and, and some of you might be like, oh, he's a bad pastor. I'm going to tell you, there have been seasons where all of your pastors have thought this way. Okay? I'm just being honest Brian you. just outed every pastor. I'm just being honest with you. If you're a pastor out there, you're like, I've never thought that way. Text us, 68683. I would love
2: <laughs> to hear that. Um, okay, so what about, okay, th- so you talk about team A, team B, but that's not true for all athletics. Like in running, right, you're fighting against your own personal record. Yes. What? Is is that healthy? If it's, let's just say it's it's one church and you want to, let's say it's in the light of Easter, we want to beat our own Easter attendance from last year. Yeah. So that's internal competition. So there is no winner loser. We're not looking at comparing to some other church, yep. but we are yep. saying we want more people this Easter than last year. Is mm-hmm. that problematic is that helpful competition is there a dark underside to that that we should caution ourselves I'm really good at answering these questions and then you point out where the dark underside is but I'm going to go and down I'm not this trying way. to I really am I, curious I actually
3: I my first blush reaction to that is no that sounds healthy like saying that I'm going to try to grow and even for to keep using the term compete against myself yeah uh that feels okay because chances are hopefully Uh, you're trying to better things that are already in your wheelhouse. Like, hey, we tried to reach the community last year by doing this. Now we want to reach more people, or we want to, um, you know, we want... I don't even know what some other examples would be, but that feels different to me. That feels okay. Um, Tell me where I'm wrong.
2: What do you think? I don't think you're wrong. I don't know. I don't know what I think. I think uh, it can lead to certain obsessions that Mm -hmm. it becomes about a numbers game. But as we often say, those numbers represent people, people's stories. And, you know, for us, it's helping people find their way back to God. So um, there is certainly some of that. But as we talked a little bit yesterday, there is certainly a sense, too, that like, oh, it's got to— the result then, our strategy must be better marketing, more Facebook yeah. ads, bigger postcards, more colors, more Easter egg hunts, more, blo- you know, yes. like, like the strategy sometimes can become easily devoid of a deepening sense of awe and wonder that we get to do this at all. That that God's yep. spirit is the one that leads it, convicts. Um, I do sometimes wonder if the dark underbelly isn't. Man, I start to really believe that I'm the one accomplishing these yeah. metrics. That yeah. these these things are happening because of our diligence or our innovation. And that's certainly part of it. I don't think it's it's uh, you know, we live in two extremes sometimes. You know, yes. Jesus take the wheel. So we don't even try. Yeah. Versus <laughs> like I need to I need to be responsible for the salvation of yeah. my city. You're like, no, I think it's a I think it's pedals on a bicycle, I think it's a bolt fan. I just wonder sometimes because I know that for me there's certain things that trigger my competitive nature yep. in an unhealthy way. Yeah. And yep. I would say there are some unhealthy met well, no,
3: I wouldn't say that these are categorically unhealthy metrics, but often, you know, just getting more people in the building uh turns out to be uh a dangerous metric because mm. there's ways we can do that. Yeah. That totally. may not further the 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 mission of God. You know, you can um, there's a, certain, there's many different ways to grow a church yep and um, so if it 's just numbers for numbers' sake, then maybe it 's not healthy to be competitive against yourself from last year if it's you know we want to see more people you know come to come to faith in Jesus, so we 're going to try to think strategically about that that mm. feels healthier to me um, there's probably gray areas in there, yeah, I'm which sure there is. always are you and I are speaking pretty black and white where there 's probably some gray um, I just know for myself. Uh, when I get competitive towards other churches,
2: it usually leaves me in a bad spot. That's interesting, but not always though. Sometimes it actually does spur you on to good stuff.
3: Yeah, I think. <laughs> uh, but I think sometimes the fruit of it it could be end up being a good thing. But I do hmm. a lot of times. I as a pastor just need to check my attitude. And even if you're not a pastor, what you know, what does competition look like for you amongst other people? Um, but for me as a pastor, I know. When my attitude is, for lack of a better word, I want to beat that church, yeah, usually ends up in a bad spot. That's a good caution.
2: Well, coming up next, there's a story that I found about a uh, 7-Eleven owner that I think is going to really warm your heart and also hopefully challenge you a little bit. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, right, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, or 1160hope.com. And, uh, you know, every once in a while, I just kind of throw in a feel-good story. Yes. I feel like, I don't know that it's been heavy necessarily, but like sometimes we, we delve into stories or ideas or concepts that can get pretty... Uh, yeah. There's some weight to them, and I think we need that. But every once in a while, especially with social media, I feel like... I flip through my feed sometimes and I think, man, is uh, we're all doomed. Like yes. <laughs> so I read stories like this and uh, it really kind of warms my heart. So I'm just going to read the headline and uh, let you in on a couple of the details, yep. but I, I want to kind of get your reactions to it because there's a reason that stories like this resonate with us, regardless of your context. And the headline is: Seven uh, Eleven owner sends shoplifting teen home with food mm. instead of calling nine one one. And I think that that is like a that's a story in a sentence right there. It yes. says an owner of a Seven Eleven in Toledo, Ohio, responded to a teenager shoplifting from a store with kindness. And now the act is going viral. And I know why I get why it's going viral, because we just don't see stories like this very often. Nope. And I, I have guesses as to why. But what I want to first know is, um, why do you feel like in an age where it seems like the awful tends to get the most clicks why does stories like this still go viral? Like when culture seems to get more and more cynical, why do we still see like a massive response to stories like this?
3: I uh, I think we love redemption. We talked about it with field of dreams. We talked about it uh, with some other things. I think that we love redemption and being given second chances and being shown grace. Like how often do we talk about just, uh, How much good news, the the great uh, grace is in our lives. And we want to be more graceful people. This guy or girl, whoever the owner was of the store, uh, did not need to show grace. In fact, the justice was get these kids arrested and punished. And but it it reminds me of, uh, you know, I took my daughter a month or two ago to go see Les Mis uh, down in Indiana. And if you've ever seen Les Mis, there's that famous scene of Uh of Jean Valjean uh finally out of prison and he steals the the silver from the priest uh and everybody catches him and the priest could could ruin his life could say take him away and instead he knows he goes no he forgot this and he gives him the candlesticks or whatever and it transforms his life. I think we love this story uh because it it's a feel-good story, it's full of grace, and we want to say gosh, I really hope that what this guy has done or girl has done for these kids is going to change those kids' lives. Yeah, It's going to literally be the marker of which uh, they build upon the rest of their lives that maybe they'll get out of the whatever poverty is causing this and that they'll be able... Like, this will define their lives and that it's more than just a kid avoiding being arrested for shoplifting or something. I think, I think that's the feel-good
2: nature of the story. Well, so, so the uh, the kid got caught. And he emptied his pockets, and it was uh, like gum and candy. And when confronted, he said, I'm just, I'm just really hungry, and mm. I'm trying to get some food from me and for my younger brother. And so the owner said, well, that's that's not food. Like gum and candy is not going to – if you want food, just ask, is what he told him. There was an mm. eyewitness and said, if you, if you need food, just ask. So supposedly um, he asks, and so he wraps up all this food. And what I love is they, uh, they interview his wife as well. She said, I'm really proud of him, and it is uh, it is the true self uh, of himself. I know him. He's very, very kind. We are a part of the community, and we have to help the community. It is a part of our job. Mm. And to me, I, I love that someone who owns a 7-Eleven sees as a part of their job caring for their community. Yes. You know, we so often sort of see whatever it is we do for employment as a siloed existence and whatever, like it's about. My job and my mortgage and my 401k, and that's why I go there. And then I come back, and here's someone that you know maybe would surprise us. They see their role and their influence and their responsibility as more than just punching in, punching out, or running a shop Mm -hmm. or making a profit. It's nope, this is our community, yeah. And if there's two kids in our community that are hungry. Then that's on us too, and yeah. I think it was a couple of weeks ago. You know, one of the sentences we said was, "It doesn't have to be our fault to be our responsibility." Mm-hmm. Yeah. That this guy's not at fault for making these two kids hungry. Who knows what's going on in their lives? But he saw a need and said, "Yeah, I can meet. I can meet this need right here." Yep. Can I fix all of the hunger in our whole city? No way. Right. But I, he- I here have an opportunity where this. It was within his rights. To call nine one one right, yeah, to have the kid arrested or whatever, and he chose grace, he chose not to and not just grace um but to provide for his needs yep. too, which I think is why people respond to this story so much and it's risky not just to show one kid grace, but
3: now this story's gone viral, so what do you think the other hungry people in his ca- yeah, town wonder, are going to do? I wonder you know, and he's got to just be honest with people like I can't feed the whole town or i can't like this was a this was a risky step and. Um, but yeah, it's a feel, it's, it's a feel good step and it's a feel good story and your heart breaks for those kids. He's like, I'm just trying to get food for my younger brother and mm-hmm. I, and, and you would like to think if put in the same situation that we would hopefully do the same thing. And, and it, there is a challenge in here for, for the church and for Christ followers, like. Uh, we've been called to be people who show the love of Jesus to other people, to show that same grace. And it doesn't mean that you let everybody off the hook or you become a doormat or whatever. Um, but this is the type of description that I think needs to increasingly mark us as Christians in the church, and will look different than the culture. We would say we're going to look so different they're going to know we're Christians. Well, what's you know what's the, what's the saying? Oh, they're going to know we're Christians by our love, right? And, uh, you know, there's a lot um, that we can be learned from here. Yeah. Uh, so don't my point is don't allow it to just be a feel good story. Like yeah. Oh, what a you go, 7 guy. <laughs> and oh, isn't that great. And I I'm going to cheer that on. But instead, how can you be a person in your life who shows grace, who shows love, who shows forgiveness, um, who isn't always about um, your own rights? And this this 7-Eleven owner, his right was to be compensated for that product. Yeah. And uh, would he have been wrong to call the cops on these kids? No. Um, But what he did could literally be life-changing. Yeah. It could be life-changing for these kids and for other people uh, who are seeing uh, what happened. So I think the challenge as we read a story like this for for you and I, for other believers out there, for the church— is how do we increasingly live as people who look different, who look like we are filled with grace and
2: love and forgiveness and who are living the way Jesus lived to other people? Okay, so you bring up an interesting point, though. If this story went as viral as it seems to have, other people in the community might now also be much more inclined, like, ah, let's go. That guy's a sucker. He'll give us food or whatever (laughs) Like to to now be taken. And, And I... I, I use this as an example, but I know plenty of people that will say oh i never I never give money or even food to a homeless person because if I give it to one then then ten more are gonna be asking for it and i'm not I'm not willing to go down that slippery slope so I just don't at all you know what encouragement or what challenge would you have like how do you think this guy would respond then let's say now that the story's gone viral he's got a line around the building three times from people asking for free food yep and you'd have to think that he's got. You know, he's got to be, I don't think, maybe the phrase
3: is strong enough or have the ability to just tell people, hey, I can't do this for everybody. Like, I hope you yeah. understand. But hopefully other people in the community, this rises up. Maybe there's people in the community going, wow, there's kids out there that are just trying to feed their him and his little brother. Yeah. Maybe churches rise up. And they're like, you know what? we're going to step in at this 7-Eleven and talk to people and try to figure out the need. And maybe we as churches are going to come together and offer some free meals or we're going to support food pantry, whatever. Yeah. Hopefully the, the burden of this is not upon the Seven Eleven 11 guy, uh, but the burden upon this is felt by the entire community and particularly the churches in the community to say, well, you know what? We are going to pick up the mantle that this guy started uh, and continue to try to make this so that it could be more widespread to those who are in need. I mean, that
2: is the hope. <laughs> The cynic in me wonders, okay, yeah, like exactly what you encourage us not to do is to see there's a feel-good story, yep. and then we move on, right? And again, there's nothing wrong with, like, choosing where your resources go or how you tackle certain issues. I know that this could get political really quickly. This could get messy theologically in a hurry. Yep. Uh, you know, how how we go after what we see as issues in our world, but also in our own backyard. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, to give a shout out, we have a a subsidiary ministry called Community 412, and they sort of like lead the social justice, compassion arm for Community Christian Church, which is so helpful because they're like on the front lines and they're the ones that are constantly pointing back to us to say, hey, we need to be putting more resources toward this. We need to be having this conversation more frequently or here's another opportunity over here. Here," Like they're doing not only research, but like boots on the ground, dirt under the fingernails work to like here's the most strategic ways for us to go after some of these issues, so it's not just a flash in a pan feel good story, but ways to actually tackle systemic poverty, systemic homelessness, systemic racism, and uh, I'm I'm just so grateful for entities and people who are wired that way yeah. and help help the whole the greater Big Seed Church see some of the pitfalls and actually you know hopefully step into some uh, some healthy practices absolutely absolutely well coming up next the way that we always do we're going to land the plane with some insanity that we found online the internet never disappoints so that's what's coming up next on the common good on am 1160 hope for your life
3: here's some weird stuff we found on the internet <clears throat> here's some more weird stuff we found on the web
2: Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. And if you're just joining us, we end every show with some interweb insanity. And uh, some days are dark, some days are funny, some days are a combination of the two. Just a caveat, we didn't pick these stories. So <laughs> our producers found them. They're, uh, we have not read them. And we don't know the sound effects associated with them. So we're literally flipping them over. We're reading them sight unseen. If we seem like a little caught off guard at times, because it's we accurate. Are. Yeah, we have no idea what's going on. So Brian, why don't you kick us off? All righty.
3: A little nervous. California. <laughs> Police respond to suspicious noises, find loose cows. Like loose morals or? no, <laughs> no. Nope, nope, I think they were loose. <laughs> okay. I, I cannot speak to the morality of these cows. That's good. Police responding to reports of some suspicious late night noises in a California neighborhood discovered two loose cows snacking on plants. The police department said officers were called to the neighborhood on Hidden Trails Road just before 3 a.m., The officers arrived to find two cows of unknown origins eating plants (laughs) in a resident's yard. The police report said the San Diego Humane Society was called to the scene. Do you know what to do to help
2: move the cows? That was bad.
0: Don't kid yourself, Jimmy. If a cow ever got the chance, he'd eat you and everyone you care about.
2: (laughs) It's true. That's science. All right, Holland. Man smuggles out fellow prisoner in garbage bag from prison. This actually happens.
3: I've seen this movie.
2: <laughs> a resident of the Dutch city Gouda did not know that was a city. That's fantastic. That's this is a Gouda story. That's
3: cheesy. <sighs> let's
2: just let's just cancel this. We're done. Nope, go. On. I like this uh, one. We'll be back in court on Friday, uh, the twenty sixth of April. On December twenty eighth last year, an earlier sentence ended for him. He walked out of prison. D shy and what in Rotterdam towards his freedom but smuggled the prisoner outside that is not allowed I nope. love that it includes that that's not, not allowed. allowed the man was given a transport trolley to take his personal belongings out of prison then the other jail customer hitched along in a garbage bag the prisoner who is small in size crawled into the bag that was tied by his buddy once outside the prisoner tore the bag and emerged get busy living I'll get busy dying. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that sounds about It's right. great. Oh, thank
3: God Florida. Florida. Yep. Easter bunny gives beatdown in downtown Orlando. <laughs> Apparently this bunny wasn't too hoppy. Oh, you got all the And puns. then it says like happy, get it? Oh, the weird battle all started when a man bumped into a woman with dreads. Words were exchanged. Did it matter that
1: she had dreads? I was yeah, that there just about the seems
3: poet. like an unnecessary detail. Words were exchanged and fists began to fly. That's when the fuzzy white rabbit jumps in to put his paws to work in a beating of his own. A local promoter uh, that goes by Workf <laughs> Work on oh, Instagram caught the whole thing on video writing, as you can see, the Easter rabbit been taking boxing classes Eventually, the bunny brawl was broken up by a local bystander and a bike cop with the Orlando Police. Oh
0: my gosh. that escalated quickly. <laughs> I mean, that really got out of hand fast.
2: Uh, oh no, I'm worried. This is Michigan, my home state. There it is. Can you bring me McDonald's, Michigan oh. boy? Five calls nine one one for emergency this is craving. Be nice. Oh, is it though? Yeah. Five year old boy in Michigan tried to satisfy his fast food craving by dialing the only number he could. On a deactivated cell phone, 911. Oh, Aw, when the dispatcher answered Isaiah uh, Hall's call early last Sunday morning, local station WZZM reported that he explained his emergency. Can you bring me McDonald's, he asked. Uh, dispatcher Sarah Kuberski, you think? Kuberski? Oh, just own oh, it. Sure, Kuberski said she couldn't but contacted police officer Dan Patterson. I was laughing to myself. Five-year-old calls, dispatch, and orders McDonald's. The, the officer drove to Izia's home in the city of wyoming for a welfare check decided to stop at mcdonald's along the way to order food for the boy <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh,
2: oh that is a good story you right that's good that is good <laughs> Uh, Africa.
3: We're going to end with Africa. Sure. Selfie featuring pair of posing gorillas goes viral, and you're going to need to see the picture. So yeah, please uh, go online, look this up. This is an awesome picture. A pair of gorillas at a national park in Congo were more than ready to strike a pose for a selfie. (laughs) On April 18th, a Facebook post from the page The Elite Anti Poaching Units and Combat Trackers shared an image of what appears to be a selfie at Virunga National Park in Congo. Another day at the office, the post reads, with the selfie of a caretaker at the park as two gorillas stand upright and appear to be posing with him in the background. Since then, it has been shared on Facebook more than 21,000 times. On Monday, the national park shared the photo and confirmed that, yes, it's definitely real. The female gorillas live in an enclosed sanctuary for orphans where they've lived since they were infants. Those gorilla gals are always acting cheeky, so this was the perfect shot of their true personalities. <laughs> the deputy director of the park told BBC the gorilla's mothers were killed in 2007, so it's no surprise to see these girls on their two feet either. Most primates are comfortable walking upright for short bursts of time. Again, you've got to see this picture because it we can't do justice to it. It is a perfect selfie with these two gorillas.
0: I hate every I see from chimpanzee to chimpanzee. Oh,
2: my gosh. Uh, Brian, it looks like you you skipped it. What was the name of the deputy deputy director? (laughs) The deputy director was named what? What was that there? Uh, Innocent Moomba Rumway. Okay, that really helps me. Thanks a lot for uh, filling in that detail. If you didn't hear anything else today, watch out for loose cows, friends. That is uh, (laughs) the message from today on The Common Good. My name is Ian Simkins along with Brian Fromm here on AM 1160. Hope for your life.